Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. First up, we take a look at the business stories making this morning's papers and indeed uh, some of the week's business news. Delighted to be joined here in studio this morning by Caroline Reedy of the HR Suite and Doug Keating, who's the head of communications at Avalon. You're both very welcome to the programme. A very good morning, Jim. Good morning, morning Bobby. Um, Doug, I want to start with a kind of a, a well, a sad story. Um, 500 restaurants uh, under threat from out-of-control costs. Uh, it's the front page of the Irish Examiner this morning, and it outlines um, the very, very sad closure of Nash 19, uh, in business for over 30 years. Claire Nash, I know her well, and I really, really feel sorry that it's come to this. But this is one story against a pretty bleak backdrop uh, when we listen to what the restaurants associations are saying here, Doug. Yeah, it it is a bleak story, um, Bobby. And as you say, it's kind of told through the individual situation of Claire Nash and her well-known restaurant, Nash 19, in Cork. And it's always sad to hear about a successful business that hits hard times and, and, and you know, going into liquidation. And, and I guess... Uh, as you said, it does point to the broader challenge uh, the restaurant and hospitality trade is facing um, that's outlined in the piece with quotes from a restaurant association chief executive, Adrian Cummins, who is saying that, you know, this situation that uh, Nash 19 faces could hit, you know, up to 500 restaurants uh, around Ireland, which is a massive number. And these restaurants are being hit by a range of cost pressures, uh, the hike in energy costs, uh, the change in the VAT rate for hospitality, which is the subject of some controversy and debate, uh, the rising minimum wage, and then a bunch of other supplier costs um, that have gone up. Gone, gone, gone up. I mean, I guess it's it's going to lead now to, again, uh, two things that I think the Restaurant Association of Ireland is going to look for for its members. So that is uh, the reduction of the VAT rate. Again, I, I think it's back down to, to 9% yeah. of special rate <clears throat> Um, for for restaurants and also you have this giant wall of money um, the warehousing of tax payments that uh, that companies were allowed to do during COVID that you know they haven't gone away they've just not been paid and as I understand it they are now due for repayment from May 1st and that means a a huge amount of cash is going to have to to come up so just two observations Bobby I hugely sympathize with these businesses but I also hugely sympathize with all small businesses facing challenges so I don't actually think that we should be carving out restaurants and giving them a special dispensation on VAT yeah. and and I think that because I don't believe that it is has ever really led to lower prices in restaurants I think it is you know helps repair margins and I fully understand why businesses want to do that but I I share the view of of consumers uh, who I think aren't necessarily sympathetic. The other concern I have uh, is around restaurants that have traded through the Christmas period, which is obviously a very busy period, now potentially looking at their balance sheets and cash flow and saying, this isn't going to work going into liquidation. And I feel sorry for a lot of the suppliers to those businesses who may now face a hit. Uh, and I think there'll be people who have to look at themselves and say, was it appropriate for me to to take my suppliers, uh, take their, their goods in the knowledge that maybe I wouldn't be able to pay them in January? Yeah, okay. A couple of interesting points you make there, which I'll come back to. Uh, Caroline, um, this is a sector that employs, uh, you know, uh, over 180,000 people. Um, It's very much 
the fabric of our towns, of our cities, of our entertainment. And to see these, uh, I know, projections of potentially 500 restaurants being under threat is I, I, I really, really am deeply disturbed by it. Without doubt, and I suppose, you know, the facts tell us that 230 have closed since July. So that's a really big, stark statistic that we don't even need to guess what might happen. And I suppose ultimately somebody as, you know, amazing as Claire Nash in this industry, you know, she was a real pioneer with the outdoor, um, you know, seating in Princess Street and, you know, lots of other initiatives that we know is a really capable, amazing businesswoman that, you know, ultimately this is more than, you know, the business model. I think it, it really requires a serious review of what the cost of doing business in Ireland is now because we've seen the minimum wage increase 12% on the 1st of January. We've seen the energy costs, we've seen the VAT, you know, we've seen all those factors that ultimately it's got to be worthwhile if somebody goes down the road of entrepreneurship and business ownership for them, the risk they're taking needs to be worth the risk because each of these businesses on average have about 20 jobs in them. And when you add that up, it's a very significant amount of people that their livelihoods are depending on it. We've seen a lot of people diversify as well into different industries and different areas, but like Ultimately, these are the the key to our vibrancy in streets and villages and towns. And I suppose, you know, it's a really big concern. And we've seen the mm. government, Michal Martin, Mashi McGrath, etc. You know, they're all saying we're going to be looking to see how we can reassess and how we can help. But it needs to be a fairly mm. significant review. And I think minimum wage, energy, VAT, etc. There, there's going to take a lot of uh, elements and ingredients. It's not going to be just a quick fix. Yeah, You're just going back to the, the VAT, where, the, the tax warehousing, Doug, you know, I think you're probably right in one regard that this, you know, I suppose it's a realisation of something that was kicked down the road to be, and it it probably represents more the past. And, you know, if you're a struggling business and you're given an opportunity uh, by the government not to pay a particular bill that allows you to stay trading, you're probably going to take it. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's probably uh, too many businesses in this and now when the money uh, is being asked to be repaid, you know, you've got to, these are, you know, what people were calling, maybe some of these were zombie businesses. I mean, that's the but thing. That that's part of the trade-off when you try and help people collectively, that unfortunately that's one of the side effects, that, that, that businesses that probably should have failed get to stay along for the ride and just prolong the agony for everybody, including themselves. No, I, I, look, I think you're right. And I guess, that you know, what you'd like businesses to have done, and it's easy to say this, is to, you know, be squirrelling away what they could in, in some separate account to, to sort of think about the tax that was coming down the road. But I suspect a lot of them were just, you know, needing every penny they had uh, to keep things afloat. And now that, that number is coming into view. Um, and, as, and as you say, there will be some businesses that were maybe zombie businesses that were always going to fail. Um, but, you know, there are others who, you know, are, are really struggling uh, and it's genuine. I don't see a clear solution. I don't know, Bobby, are you, are you thinking, is, should there be some kind of rebate amnesty or the, should the government rethink? I just don't think that's that's reasonable. I, 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 and I, I don't say this, you know, flippantly, but I, I, if a business is 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 gone, I think it's in everybody's interest to let it go. I don't like, uh, uh, you know, I don't really support the view that 
propping up an unviable business really helps anybody. It doesn't. Mm. Um, but I, I, I feel desperately sad for the people who work so hard, you know, and put so much of their lives. Someone like Claire Ash, who's been at that for 30 years, and as Caroline said there, the work that she's done for her industry, mm-hmm. uh, selfishly done for her industry, you know, to come and just to appoint a liquidator. Is, I suppose, Bobby, is desperately sad. Absolutely. And the other thing we have to be conscious, conscious of as well is the fabric of, you know, the people who were going in here, where we've a lot more people working from home now, you know, the lunch trade, the breakfast trade, etc. A lot of people will tell you that what type of trade there is, you know, people are now limiting the opening hours to maybe four days a week, you know, so they've all their staff working certain days. So the actual way of doing business has changed drastically too. It absolutely has. Just Bobby, just a brighter note maybe, because I think we've been a, a little bit gloomy, uh, January is obviously typically a slow time for the restaurant set. I've been to three restaurants since the beginning of the year, uh, midweek, lunchtime, evening. Uh, okay, in the Dublin area, they've all been thriving and busy yeah. and people spending money, which which is good to see. So, like, you know, the best way you can help these businesses that are suffering is, you know, go out there, have a great meal because there's, there's wonderful service and, and quality businesses to be supported. No, absolutely. And a, a texter says there, can we call out uh, that fact, VAT, the fact that VAT was restored to 13.5%, not raised, and that's a correction that's valid. So happy to correct well that. Well said. Correct. Um, another story, Doug, uh, Irish retailers facing delays and cost hikes with this red not getting any tax. better, Bobby. No, okay, we'll get on to the good news <laughs> shortly, but sorry to be so dark this morning. But um, this is another issue, like, like, and it's a real issue, it's a live issue. And I just thought um, the... Somebody simplifying it, and maybe you might do it for us, Doug. Peter Flanagan there at the corner of Flanagan Cairns Furniture Store in Bray, he basically did the maths for us on this. Yeah, I mean, the reason I think it's a really good story by Sarah Collins in the Irish Independent is it takes this big geopolitical issue, which is, you know, Gaza, Israel, the Red Sea, Houthi rebels, uh, you know, firing missiles, shipping being shut down, and it brings it down to some, you know, very real impact it's having, you know, on the high street in Bray, where Peter Flanagan, who who runs a furniture shop, explains that, the, you know, the, the direct impact on his business is both, you know, two to three week delays in the delivery he's getting of product um, from Asia, but also uh, the cost impact. So he gives the the example of a, of a sofa costing five to six hundred euros. And he says... As container prices rise, now they haven't got there yet, but if they were to go back up to the 16,000 euros per container high, that could potentially double the cost of that sofa. So, you know, it it, it is... So a 600 sofa becomes a 1,200 euro one. Yeah, now I don't think container rates have apparently trebled in recent months uh, due to, to these disturbances. We've also seen, you know air freight rates rising as well because, you know, uh, people are, are flying stuff in rather than having it go around uh, the southern uh, horn of Africa. Um, just the, the other thing I think about this is, 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 is that, you know, the war in Gaza, tragic as it, as it is and we worry about it, uh, I actually think it's when things like this start happening and global trade starts shutting down 
that actually that might really focus uh, political minds and pressures on trying to address this. It's a very sad fact that that's the case. But I think, you know, you see the Red Sea shut down. You see oil price spike $20 a barrel. You see U.S. shoppers having well, to pay, pay massive amounts more for products. And suddenly politicians might actually lift a finger and force something to happen. Uh, Caroline, I see Tesla are also having some issues in uh, their Berlin factory. Uh, as a result of the same uh, the same Red Sea attack escalating. Yeah, I suppose it really highlights the fact that so many of our supply chain is still so dependent on China. And for them specifically, their batteries are being made there. And as a consequence, it's creating a huge issue in terms of uh, delays where they're suspending um, the manufacturing. And cu- coupled with that, they also have labour disputes with their trade unions. So they're really having a hugely tough time where they're really going to have to rethink okay. the whole the whole production facility, I think, particularly due to this. We'll we do we'll do one more bad news one before we get positive. Uh, City <laughs> yeah. Group are cutting twenty thousand jobs worldwide after losses of one point eight billion. Yeah. Um. They, and again, it's you know this is a close to home story because this bank currently employs two and a half thousand people in their European headquarters uh, here in Dublin, Doug. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's 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 worrying, I think, for those two and a half thousand staff in Dublin. It's not clear uh, at this stage what the geographic you know, breakdown of where uh, these jobs will go. It's around 10% of the global headcount if you take 20,000 out of 230,000 jobs. So, you know, if it was pro rata for Ireland, that's 250 people. Let's hope it's not. I mean... Uh, Citigroup in Dublin has been expanding. Two years ago, it added 300 staff. It's about to move to a spanking uh, new set of offices uh, on the North Docks. You have a new CEO in Jane Fraser at Citigroup who is you know, on a mission to shake up the bank and, and obviously cut costs. They're talking about cutting global headcount to, to maybe 180,000 by 2025. So there's maybe more to come here. I think, though, and, and the, the second story you have on this from the Irish Times does at the bottom... Uh, also look at uh, results of J.P. Morgan Chase. And it is a reminder that, you know, Citigroup, it's not necessarily the banking sector's in trouble. I mean, Citigroup is this giant, badly run, arguably, you know, in too many things that needs to rationalise and get some more focus because J.P. Morgan Chase made a massive, uh, what is it, $9.3 billion uh, profit in Q4. Uh, that was down to the interest rate hikes. Yeah, do, you know, making more more margin on, <clears throat> on lending. So, you know, I think Citigroup is a special case, but let's particularly hope uh, that those job cuts don't impact Dublin because, as you say, you've had three negative stories and I gather it's Blue Monday coming up <laughs> on Monday. So let's try and give people something that might make them feel a bit more buoyant. Well, I, I think maybe, and again, if there was any ray of hope on this this third negative story, that maybe those people who who might get displaced here would find other jobs, Caroline. Yeah, I suppose we're lucky we have full employment, but at the same time, it's in many organisations we're seeing here in Ireland at the minute that it's the layer of management and it's no different in Citigroup that they're saying the same thing. So a lot of people who are on the €100,000 type salary are the people that are being targeted so for these obvious, are upper middle management. Absolutely. But they're also the people, I suppose, that, you know, the most saving will be potentially made. They're looking to save 2.5 billion euro with these job cuts. 
but ultimately, I suppose they're also the harder t- category of worker to re, you know, get an alternative role. So yeah. and and have obviously a high cost of living linked to the fact that they're used to that income. So I definitely think it's one that we hope won't impact us here too much in Ireland, but uh, one to watch for sure. And I think they're not alone. All right, here's our first good news story. Yeah, yeah. Ed Sheeran gigs and Katie Taylor. Fights uh, at Three Arena help revenue soar to 74 million. Um, this is this Polestar analysis, uh, Doug, which effectively looks at all the venues right across the world and basically tallies their revenues. Um, and uh, the Three Arena doesn't seem to have done badly. It certainly uh, doesn't, Bobby. I mean, revenue up on these numbers to 74 million last year from. 49 million euros in 2022, so up over 50%. I presume the 2022 numbers are sort of hit by COVID and lockdowns, etc. I guess what for me was interesting was then doing a bit of a deeper dive into which of the various acts uh, earned uh, more money. So uh, of the ones I picked out here, Katie Taylor, just for the one night of her performance, that was 2 million euros in ticket sales. The Arctic Monkeys <coughs> over three nights, 3.6 million Elton John, two nights, three million. So that's one and a half million a night for Elton banging out the the, the tunes. That's pretty good going. The biggest uh, revenue earning Irish act was Westlife, whose three nights netted uh, three million in revenues. And just finally, also uh, what I find interesting, like the big comedy acts, you know, who play big arenas, also (coughs) bringing in whopping ticket sales. Peter Kay for his three nights, two million euros. And if anything, it is that reminder when you do go to a concert, like the ticket prices are pretty scary and, and yeah. that's where it's going. Now, what we don't see here, we're just seeing revenue. We don't actually see what, you know, it's what, you know, what profit is made. And I know there are enormous production costs that go into putting on some of these amazing shows. Um, Caroline, you're no doubt off to Taylor Swift and Coldplay this year. I'm to help looking, the revenues. I'm looking forward to them. But what's really interesting is that ultimately now when tickets go on sale, it literally is such a hard job to get a ticket secured yeah. to any of these. And the prices are really steep. Like for a lot of these now, they're over €100. Euros. So, you know, people are willing to pay the money to see the really good acts. And the other thing is you have to pay out the money like Straight 18 away. months almost before you're going. Absolutely. So it's and like, yeah, it's a good business. Yeah. It's a good business model. Um, I just wanted to pay a short tribute um, to Eddie O'Connor, who was on this show uh, many times, uh, a global entrepreneur in the energy sector and a radical thinker. And his obituary is featured today, Doug, in today's Irish Times. I knew Eddie fairly well. He was on the show here with us many times. And, you know, I have to say he was one of a kind. Yeah, look, I never met Eddie O'Connor, but kind of watched from afar and, and listened to him on, on shows like yours. And, uh, you know, he tragically died last week, age 76. But uh, this obituary celebrates his life. Uh, and achievements. Uh, I rather liked the description that was given to him of the CEO of one of the businesses he set up who described Eddie as a swashbuckling pioneer and irrepressible visionary. I mean, this is a man who started out uh, his career in, you know, as CEO of Board Namona, but not for him, you know, the sleepy world of a semi-state CEO. He walked out in the late 90s. He set up Airtricity turned that into a phenomenally successful renewable energy business and wind energy business, sold that, not content with resting on his laurels and counting the considerable money he'd made. He did it again with mainstream power, hugely successful global 
uh, wind energy and renewable business. And he also seemed to be doing it again with this super node business that I don't know very much about, but is around kind of power cables able to to move energy around the grid uh, in Europe. So, um, you know, tribute paid to, to Eddie, and I think we might hear a few yeah, words from let's him. let's have a word from Eddie. I had I'd become convinced in 1989, Bobby, that uh, the we were we were killing the atmosphere with all the CO2 that was being released, and it was uh, as CEO of Portmore. I was the biggest polluter in Ireland, um, in the sense that we released 10 million tons a year of CO2, and uh, it was it was in '89 I decided, yeah, this is not only is this good for the environment and it's something that I want to do, but it should be because we have to do it. It should be a great business opportunity as well, and that's what we set out to prove. Uh, with electricity. That was the late, great Eddie O'Connor talking to me back in 2020. Uh, Caroline, uh, interesting piece by our own Sinead Ryan today in the personal finance uh, column in the Indo. Workers will sign up for the salary, but they're much more likely to stay for the benefits. Very good analysis by Sinead in terms of, you know, people not taking up the benefits that employers go to. You know, I suppose great expense to lay on. What were your own thoughts on it? I think, I suppose, first of all, I think for a lot of people now, the number one benefit is the working from home. Like we're seeing people will literally change jobs if they don't get the opportunity to work from home, if that's something that they can get in a comparable job. There's lots of benefits there, but ultimately, I suppose, pension, you know, health insurance, all those kind of things, they're nearly a given now in most organisations, so people expect them. And I think we've started to realise the yoga and the other types of things maybe aren't as uh, in demand anymore. I think for a lot of people now, it's making sure they have good culture in the organisation, good work-life balance. And we're getting better at it. We have a long way to go in many uh, scenarios. But I think salary is going to always be number one, but then followed fast by work-life balance, working from home and other benefits like that. Yeah. And interesting, Doug, about uh, her, her heads up there on what things are taxed. Uh, again, these benefits, some of them are great, but if you end up with a big BIK bill, uh, sometimes you have to evaluate what you're actually getting. Yeah, you certainly do. You know, things like uh, company cars and, and, and some of the healthcare costs, uh, you know, funding for gym memberships, uh, if accommodation is funded, you do have to watch out that you're not going to get uh, hit by a big uh, BIK <clears throat> bill. The one thing I would pick up also, I think... Uh, it, an employer that invests in training and education, uh, that can be a real fringe benefit okay. that I think people value. Finally, uh, Caroline, I know you're a connoisseur of whiskey, Irish whiskey. <laughs> Most expensive ever bottle sold at two and a half million uh, euro. What about that? Yeah, it's definitely the first of its kind. And I think the fact it's positioned in the walnut case with the decanter and the Fabergé egg, which is a real emerald. Plus includes two Cohiba cigars. Yeah, exactly. Nice touch, yeah, it? I think so. You definitely need <laughs> to be getting... Exactly. You definitely need to be getting those additional yeah. perks to One push to that. One for everyone on Blue Monday, I think. Exactly, one of those exactly. All right, well, thanks for a great review of the business stories. Uh, Caroline Reedy from the HR Suite. Joe Keating. Uh, from uh, Avalon. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.